My message this morning is called, You Are Called. And so, I want to start this morning with a story for you guys. Jim Elliott, the missionary, from a very early age, inspired by Christian missionaries around him to go and spread the gospel, ended up going to Wheaton College, where he would end up meeting his wife, Elizabeth Elliott. Well, not, not at the time, but he met his wife, Elizabeth. And both of them had a huge heart to, to truly go and go wherever God would lead them to go. And God would end up calling them to the jungles of Ecuador to spread the gospel. Many of you guys are familiar with this story. But upon graduation from college, Jim had all kinds of career possibilities in front of him. He was a charismatic, he was a smart, he was a gifted man, and the sky truly was the limit for him. Yet his plans were set on going to a small tribe in South America that had never heard the gospel before. Jim's parents were not thrilled about this plan. In fact, they were not super excited about that, and they actually told him so in a letter. I want to read you guys a letter that Jim wrote back to his parents this morning and use that as my launching pad into the message this morning. So if we could get this slide thrown up on the screen, that'd be awesome. This is what Jim wrote back to his parents. I do not wonder that you are saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned of us when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom in following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves that we regard as closest, he told us, must become as hate in comparison with our desire to uphold his cause. And the next slide says this, Grieve not then if your sons seem to desert you, but rather rejoice, seeing that the will of God has been done gladly. Remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they are a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who has a quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of arrows? And what are arrows but for to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw back the bowstring and let the arrows fly. All of them, straight at the enemy's hosts, give your sons to bear the message glorious. Give your wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out your soul for them in prayer victorious. And all you spend, Jesus will repay. That spirit from Jim to risk it all, to abandon himself, to surrender to what the Lord wanted for him, for the kingdom, would result in Jim being called to go to Ecuador, to the Aka tribe. And you guys know the story where Jim and four other missionaries were speared to death, slain by those who they came to minister to. Something great stood out in that letter to me. Jim said that he was so infatuated with the kingdom of God and ultimately the king that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. All other allegiances must be put aside to, to live a life willing to risk it all for the Lord. And my question for you all this morning is this. Are you so infatuated 
with the kingdom and the king that you will gladly go wherever he leads and do whatever he says. Because I think a lot of us say that we are wanting to be used by God. But are we really willing to take up our cross and follow him? Today I want us all to consider what scripture has to say about being called. Every one of us in this room, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called. You are called to live in a posture of taking up your cross and following Jesus. And today we're going to look at what this looks like in 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look at the call of Elisha. Throughout, and we're going to look as well a little bit later as the call in the, the Gospels and how that relates to us. So 1 Kings chapter 19. Let me set the context as you guys are opening up your Bibles to this. These are the days of King Ahab. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were evil. They were leading God's people into all sorts of idolatry. Specifically, they led God's people to worship the false god Baal. Baal, who was known as the god of life and fertility. And if you wanted rain, you would cry out to Baal because Baal at the time was known for providing what was necessary for crops, for food, for sustenance, for prosperity in life. And Ahab had led the people to put their trust and hope in Baal for prosperity in life. So God ends up raising up Elijah as this prophet to confront Baal, the prophets of Baal. And you guys know the story. He calls down the fire from heaven. Elijah had done his part. And so now it was time for Elijah to begin passing on the mantle onto a new prophet, which God told Elijah to do at Mount Horeb. And that's where we pick up in our passage today. We're going to look at 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21. God tells Elijah to anoint his Elisha as his successor in this story. So it says this, So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen rather th and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook for meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then they set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So we don't know the exact age of Elisha in this situation, but scholars seem to think that he was between the ages of 18 and 25 at this time when he was being called by Elijah. But what we do learn from this text is that Elisha came from a very well-to-do family. So to give you guys a little bit of context of what's going on here is Elisha, what we learn here is that he had 12 pair of oxen. So that's 24 oxen. One commentary that I read this week said that most typical families at this time would have one oxen for their family. And one oxen could feed a family for an entire year. So Elisha has 24 oxen. And so he, he couldn't manage that by himself as well. So he, he had to have had servants. He has some great farming equipment that we learn of. And also the land in which he had was some of the best land in all of Israel. So Elisha is truly 
a man that is very young and prosperous and has things going for him, okay? But in this moment, Elijah the prophet comes, and he calls him to come follow him, where one day he will end up taking over for him to replace him and to fill his shoes, to speak on behalf of God to the people, to turn from the idol Baal and to follow God. Elijah is coming and asking this young man to take over, to leave his family, to leave his wealth, to leave his comfort, and to follow after God. The way in which he called him in the text, it teaches us that Elijah ends up throwing his cloak or throwing his mantle over Elisha. This symbolized the transfer of prophetic power that was going to, and, and really prophetic authority, from Elijah to Elisha. The cloak that had once just covered Elijah's face at Mount Horeb, where Elijah had met with the Lord, was now being put on this farm boy, Elisha, this wealthy farm boy. And this really symbolized the succession here. I want us just to stop here and ponder this story for just a second. I mean, I want you guys to think about what's happening here. Elisha is set financially. He's got land, he's got oxen, he's got success, he has a lucrative career ahead of him, and he's young. Yet in this moment, he is called to go. In this moment, he is called to go and now replace and, and basically learn from Elijah for the next several years and be his servant to go and follow Elijah and literally become his intern. I mean, think about this. I, I really like this. One pastor said, Elisha went from CEO of Elisha Farms to intern of Elisha, intern of Elijah in just a moment. This text is so challenging to me personally because Elisha simply obeyed. There was just pure obedience the moment he came and he called him to come follow after him. He left what was comfortable. He left what was successful. The reality of Elisha being called was that the life that Elisha was being called to was not going to be similar to what he had just experienced. Elisha was being called to something so different than what he had just been doing. I mean, you look at Elijah's life. I mean, he had been living in caves. He had just been fed by the Lord from, there's the whole story of the ravens and He's confronting these false prophets. And Elisha's over here on this farm building a lucrative, wonderful life for himself. And now he's being called to this. Tells us in verse 20, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, and he went back, and so he took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment, cooked the meat, gave it to the people they ate, and then they set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Notice what Elisha does here. When he is called, he leaves behind his oxen, and he runs after Elijah. There was no delay what he does is he, he basically tells Elijah, hey, I'm going to go back. I'm going to say goodbye to my people, my family, my community, and then I'm going to come follow you. The moment that cloak was put on him, it was, this, it was as if Elisha knew exactly what he was supposed to do. There was an eagerness to go. There was no hesitation. 
which is amazing to me considering the fact that he was living a luxurious lifestyle, that he was living a life that was totally successful and lucrative. In a uh, commentary that I read by J.D. Greer, he was talking about this passage, and he talked about how God often loves to use um, and, and wants us to get to a, a place um, of, of, of when we get called in our life. There's like three things that normally happen when we get called. And, and this is what it is. I want to put this on the screen here. It's this. Surrender, sacrifice, and service. And notice how this transpires in the text. This isn't original to me. This is J.D. Greer, but this is what he said. Watch the surrender here. There was surrender because Elisha, when he was called, he burns his plows, he resigns from his job, and now has Elijah as his boss. Then there was sacrifice. The wealth that he once had was now being used to bless others. Did you guys notice that in the text? He literally kills all of his oxen, and he gives the food to all the people that are around him. Service. Elijah went from the top dog to the servant of Elijah in a day. Surrender, sacrifice, service. Talk about a humbling experience for Elisha. He takes his oxen, slaughters it, he burns his plowing equipment, he takes the meat from the oxen, gives it away, and he follows Elijah only to become his intern slash servant. You know, I think the Lord often does humble us in the midst of calling. I think there's a pattern of that really in scripture that we could easily trace. I'll never forget the humbling experience it was that God called me into ministry. Many of you guys know my story. Some of you guys don't. I actually went to school to become a nurse. I went all the way. I got through my junior year of nursing school, and I ended up failing out of nursing school. And it was in that space where I was like, man, I am a total bum. I am a total loser. Man, I am, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Like, God, why did this happen to me? And I spent weeks crying about this. My life was completely uprooted. <laughs> and it was just unbelievable because the Lord knew all along. It was in that space of humbling, it was in that space of failure that the Lord would end up using me to end up going to Woodlands Camp where I would end up meeting my wife. And there I remember so distinctly getting to camp, feeling so low, but just ready to be used by the Lord that summer and pour out my life and just see if God would give me some direction that summer. And I remember it was like within the first week of camp, I'm sitting there, my brother's there, Bryce Thompson's there, and our camp director, and my wife's there, Sydney, and, and our camp director gets up and he hands every single one of us a blank check. And he takes this blank check and he says, guys, this right here is your life. I want you to write in the memo line my life, and I want you to write this out to God. And when you can get to a point this summer where you can say, God, my hands are completely empty. I completely surrender to you. He said, I want you to sign that check to the Lord and say, God, I will go anywhere. I will do anything at any cost for you, my king. And it took me several weeks. I wrestled with the Lord about that check. And finally, I got to a point after a few weeks, I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. My future is in your hands. My life is in your hands. I don't know what you want me to do. I'm stepping out into the unknown. But God, here's my life. Take it, use it, 
however you want. And then coming out of that season is when I ended up getting called to Mercy Hill Church. And that is the posture in which I have tried to live my life really since 2016. And it's exactly what is happening here. When the Lord, over the last year, just began that stirring within us, I just said, okay, God, blank check, empty hands, whatever you want, we're listening and we want to be obedient. And God just clearly, clearly answered that by leading us to Georgia. You see, this is the posture that all of us are called to as believers. Every one of us, open hand, blank check to you, God. However you want me, however you want to use me, please do. This is a lesson for all of us because I think as Christians, having a, we're not called to comfortable Christianity. We're not. The American dream should not be our priority above everything else in our life. Our life is to be surrendered to God for him to use in any way that he'd like. And just like Jim Elliott said, to be so infatuated with the kingdom of God and the king that all other allegiances are put to the side. Where God's voice is the loudest in our life and not the things of this world. This is what is required of us as followers of Jesus. And what I love about this story in 1 Kings is that this is really just like what we would end up seeing from Jesus himself in the Gospels, this exact same message and posture. I mean, anybody else's mind go to Jesus in all of this? Jesus in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, he says, If anyone wants to come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then in verse 33, he says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Mark 8, 34, and the calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you guys notice what Jesus specifically said in that Mark 8 passage? He said he was calling the crowds over. This call is not just for the disciples of Jesus, the 12. This calling, guys, is for everybody that follows after Jesus. This isn't just for the super spiritual or the pastors or the, the missionaries out there like Brian. No. He called the crowds to him and said, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is for everybody in this room if you are in Christ. So what does this mean? What does it mean to live in a posture of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus? I really like this. This girl, Christy Gambrell, said this, to deny yourself is self-denial. It is the intentional disowning of the self or stepping away from the relationship as me as the primary source of my world. And what does it mean to take up your cross and follow him? Well, to carry a cross, guys, was to face 
a painful and humiliating means of death, right? And Jesus' command to take up your cross and follow him is a call to self-abasement and self-sacrifice. One must be willing to die in order to follow Jesus. And dying to self is an absolute surrender to God. And Christie says this, a call to bear one's cross, a part of following Jesus then, is a call to be submitted to Christ as the condemned criminal was to his death. Therefore, when Jesus calls us to self-denial and cross-bearing, he is claiming authority here. Following Christ means disowning the self and giving allegiance to him instead. It means giving him allegiance down to the very depths of my being. Now hear me out. I am not asking all of you guys today to do exactly what Elijah, Elisha did and quit your jobs and give all of your money away. The point of this whole thing is this, is that there is nothing off limits when you submit to Jesus Christ. If you are going to follow him, guys, there is nothing off limits. It means that you're going to obey him in all areas of your life. Where you are fully surrendered, willing to sacrifice, willing to take up your cross and follow him, willing to obey, even if that means leaving your family, just like Jim Elliott talked about. Guys, and the, you know the beauty, of, you know what the beauty is in letting go and surrendering, though, and abandoning ourselves and our ways and our plans? The beauty in all of this is that we receive something so incredible in that process. You know, we receive such great joy when we do that. We receive God showing up in places that is so beyond our imagination. We receive God meeting our needs in such a powerful way. We receive seeing God's faithfulness show up over and over and over again in our life. We see his strength displayed in our weakness. We see him show up in those moments of desperation. But man, that's such a good place to be. Such a good place to be. But not only that, but we, but we learn that it is in that space of self-denial that Scripture tells us that we actually find ourselves. We find ourselves because what, what, does it profit a whole man, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Scott, Scott Hubbard from Desiring God says this, Come, he says, leave the safe and small pleasures of a self-protected life for the wild delights of following heaven's king. Leave the darkness for light, hell for heaven, the life that you want to save for a far better life of loving me. For all the pain that self-denial brings, it is the only path to exceeding joy, as Psalm 43 tells us because it is the only path to Christ. And I am challenged this morning in light of all this as well by listening to Brian and Amy and their story to go to Japan and reach the unreached. To go and listen to that. They have dedicated their life to go to the nations, to share the gospel with those who have never heard. Brian and Amy get this and are living this out. They have denied themselves, they have taken up their cross, and they have followed Jesus and they've done it knowing that there are risks. Could you say this morning that this is your heart posture? 
It is my prayer that every single one of you guys in this room would be able to get to this place in your walk with Jesus Christ. Some of you guys are in a place this morning where you are not willing to be used and to be moved by God because you have certain idols in your life that you are not willing to give up. Kevin talks about this a lot in his messages. So many of us live this life with just add-on Jesus. Where Jesus is just an add-on to whatever I want and my plans, my life. You know, I'll, I'll get the add-on Jesus Sunday morning and a little sprinkle of uh, encouragement here. I'll serve one hour here. But total sacrifice and abandonment and me, you know, submitting my will and my desires to him. Like, nah, not really. Did you guys notice what Elisha had to give up in our passage? He had success lined up. He was financially set. He had the land. He had the oxen. He had the wealth. His future was secure. But God called him to take over for Elijah, and he dropped it to follow God's will. He dropped it to follow God's will. What a picture of renouncing all that you have for God. Man. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This morning, I want to encourage you guys to surrender that control. Surrender those idols that are getting in the way. The best place in the world to be surrendered is to the will of God with a posture that says, Lord, I will go anywhere. I will do anything at any cost for you, my king. I want to even just stop for a moment and say this. Like, I don't know if we talk about this enough, but maybe God is even this morning stirring in some of your hearts to go and be a missionary, to go to the nations. There are still three billion people that have been unreached for the gospel according to the Joshua Project. 3.36 billion I looked up this weekend according to the Joshua Project have been unreached with the gospel. Who will go? Maybe God is just simply calling you to maybe even start a new ministry and you want to talk to Kevin about that or something here. And God's just been laying something on your heart to minister in love and care for other people. Starting a Bible study at school or finding a ministry just to serve and jump in here. Maybe God is calling you to cut off some very toxic relationships in your life that is pushing you away from God. Maybe... God is calling you to simply forgive someone this morning. Maybe God is calling you to step out in faith and share the gospel in your work context. Maybe God is just calling you to be more obedient with your finances. Whatever it may be, I don't, I don't know what God's calling you to this morning. But I ask you to consider, are you fully surrendered? As we close this morning, and I invite the band to come on up here. I want to close with two questions for you guys. Number one is this. Could you honestly say today that you are so infatuated with the kingdom of God and following the king that all other allegiances must become as though they were not? Just as Jim Elliott said. And number two is this. What is in the way this morning of you getting there? What is in the way? Some of you guys, for an analogy, you have to go and burn the plowing equipment, cut the oxen off, and go and follow God. You have to figure out what that looks like in your life. What is in the way? Are there idols in the way? 
Has Jesus just become add-on Jesus for you? What do you have to do this morning to loosen your grip to live open-handedly to God? I want to close this morning with a C.S. Lewis quote on the screen that I want to show. And it says this, Every day the Christian life is to die. Every day he renounces the sovereignty of his own will. Every day he renews his unconditional surrender to Jesus. This is our call this morning as believers and disciples of Jesus. Let's die to ourselves, and let's see where God moves. Imagine a church full of people that denied themselves. What would that look like? Man, I'm praying that even just from today, God uses that, that we all live a little bit more open-handed, a little bit more surrendered to him. And man, God's so faithful. He's going to do the work. He's going to call. He's going to lead. Beautiful things are going to happen. Would you guys bow with me in prayer this morning? Lord, what a, what a reminder in your text this morning, God, to lay down our lives, to get us out of the center of this universe, God, and put you in your rightful, your, your rightful place as king over our life where you have reign over every square inch of our life. We surrender that to you, God. Would you remove the idols that people are holding on to and, and worshiping? And God, may people in this church live more open-handed. God, would you be continue faithful to, to call and, and move and reveal to people what you want them to do even with this passage? We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, guys. Let's worship our God.